All right, we are back. Welcome to Crime Pursuit Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bounds, along with Camille Flores. Now, like I said, we don't have a new pursuit, but we are here for our bonus episode, SVE, Special Victims Episode. And we have a very special guest with us tonight. And this is going to be real interesting. I, I got to talk to this woman a couple times, and I, I would like to talk with her more, but she has a busy schedule, and so do I. Camille, you want to introduce our guest? Yes. So today we have Dr. Ketra. Did I say that right? Ketra. <laughs> Ketra, sorry. Dr. No Ketra. And when I spoke with her, she had this amazing story. I was, um, I could hear her talk for hours. I told Ed that I felt like I was talking to an angel, basically. Her voice was very soothing. Her story was incredible. Um, and she wrote a book about her story as well, um, which is amazing. So I knew that I wanted to speak with her and I wanted to have her on our show to kind of reach out to the survivors and share that with everybody. So I'll let Ed take over and let her share her story. All right. Awesome. So Dr. Keetra, did I say that right? I always mess up names. No, it was great. You're, you're doing great. Okay, I'm doing great. You hear that, Camille? See, I'm doing <laughs> yeah, great. I did. Right, right. Okay, uh, Dr. Keetra, I was talking to Camille and just listening to her, what she was just saying, and, you know, when she was introducing you, and she, we had that conversation, and, you know, when I went and did research on you, your website, the Facebook, and, you know, the different things that you have, and I was just really impressed. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. And thank you, um, Camille. Thank you both for having me on the Crime Pursuit podcast. I consider it an honor. And um, I just look forward to this time with you and be able to encourage someone today to be able to speak out about their story. Yes. So, uh, yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Doc, I don't know the fool of everything. And, of course, our listeners don't know. Give us your story. What what exactly happened to you? Okay. Um, well, first of all, let, let me just say that I have written a book, um, The Scene Beyond the Shattered Glass, and it is a fictional memoir. It is outlining my story. So I encourage you to get the book so you can be able to read it in terms of what actually happened in snippets because it's a book. You can't tell your whole story. But in my case, um, this in relation to our conversation today. I am a survivor. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And um, I was victimized at the time by my biological father. So my abuse, well, it it happened over a period of time from about the age of six to around 12, which it happened in different sequences. So I guess the the three places to put myself is that I was a victim that overcame triumphantly to have a, a life after in um, the, the part of just being that, that victim mentality to survivor. Um, in 2004, I started a nonprofit organization where it allowed me to um, be able to heal through helping other people. Because I realized at times that when we are hurting, when we go through things, especially as childhood sexual abuse, 
um, we tend to be very quiet. We don't want to talk about it. We want we walk around with a place of shame or a place of guilt. And um, through this and through the organization, I've been able to truly um, re- rehabilitate it, it, along with counseling. So my story is probably unique to some, but strange to others. However, um, but yeah, I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse, and I am glad that I can be here today to, to help um, help with conversate about the subject matter and the topic. So is there any particular questions you would like to ask me? And I mean, okay. I'm open to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the abuse. You know, when did it first start? In, I mean, was it in the home? Was it something that just, you know, took place in another place or, or what? Well, initially, um, the abuse began at home. You know, my parents were married, and uh, my dad was um, in the in the military. So, therefore, he be, it happened in those times when he would come home, and you know, the first touch, and um, so it started in our home while my parents were married. Okay, and you were about how old? Six. Okay, so you were six years old. Yes. Take us down memory lane. What that was like. Uh, six years old, you're still a baby, pretty much, and this is your own biological father. Yeah, um, well, the the journey was, um, I was six, and I guess just in in that he, um, he began to, my dad began to um, do acts as oral sex. So his initial step was oral sex, um, and then he began to touch me as a as a child, and um, exposed me to sexual acts, and um, I was very um, timid. I mean, every girl looks at her dad in a different light because that is supposed to be one of your protector. That's supposed to be the one to keep you from the bad people, but yet mm-hmm. it's still the one that was supposed to be supposed to protect me was the one that was harming me. So it was um, in those cases when they were married, when he would come home and he would perform or conduct some type of sexual abuse um my dysfunctional environment became somewhat normal because i didn't it, when you take a child who don't understand um what's what's right and wrong cognitively you begin to take on this thing that okay this is your daddy so this is is this normal i know that sounds a, a very unorthodox but you become very for me, I, I, I thought that was just a normal action. So although I knew it was wrong because we, when abuser abuse kids, they tend to say things like, don't tell no one, don't mention no one, don't have any secrets. So that that is that was kind of that, that 10-year pathway in that time of my life. And the, and the abuse began to evolve more when my parents got divorced and I was began to go and see him in the summertime when he lived in another city than we, we did. He became a little bit more open about it. Okay, so there's a there's a mind of manipulation. So as I became older and he became more outright about the sexual abuse, um, he began to cover that, that abuse by offering things like, you know, money or giving you um, be more attentive or things of that nature. So that that's what I would say in regards to how I felt as a kid internally. Yeah, it was it was a place of dysfunction. So this took place at his home. You said it, the abuse 
got worse when he moved to another city. Am I correct? But yes, it's heightened because now you know you, I'm going into his territory. Right. Okay. Without, um, I mean, although he was remarried, but he was—I mean, abusers are master manipulators, so they can—they can manipulate anyone in any situation to believe what they want them to believe. Yes, that's, that's why true. cases. When a woman speaks out or a young man speaks out about being sexual abuse, abuse the first thing that they do in instantly is deny what they did. Right. Because they mask the minds of the people that are in their circle, the minds of the people that are in their communities. And so surely people cannot believe that this person is the one who could do such a hideous crime. Okay, so let me ask you, you said this started when you were six. It started at six. When did it end? Um, I was around 12. It was a summer I was going into my freshman year, and I had um, was already feeling uneasy because I just didn't want to go back to um, Houston because, again, he began to be very outright about the abuse. So it didn't, it didn't no longer happen at this time at night. It began to just happen whenever he had the opportunity. So I decided, um, just told my mom I didn't want to go back and visit. She didn't, she didn't fight me on that as well. Um, but that was my my decision, I believe, just by way of prayer for me, because I am a devout Christian and I believe that the Holy Spirit uh, would give us wisdom. Even in my, my young years, I just decided that I didn't want to go back to Houston. So when I didn't go back into his in his space or his his um, camp, I would say um, he didn't have the access to me to continue. So you didn't go back. Now, when do you say, okay, it's time to tell mom? Or did you even tell mom? But I think that was many years after that. I mean, obviously, you're, you walk through that, those years of silence where you don't even speak about it, you know. Um, you don't speak about your truth. And I was 23 when I actually spoke out. I spoke to my mom and told her what happened. And naturally, at that age... As I stated, that my dad, he, because she confronted him almost immediately and he denied it and said he didn't do it. And his, my stepmother at the time, now they're divorced, she also supported his decision that he couldn't have possibly did that. So um, I wouldn't tell you that my life began to become a a glorious roller coaster. It, it was still walking through a dark tunnel because. I still had to deal with that life after being a victim of childhood sexual abuse because you take on many emotions, you take on, take on many shames, you take on many hurts relationally in regard in regards to your, your spouse, your husband, or a man that you with. And one of the things I always say is that it's not, um, although you may not have been a victim of sexual abuse directly or personally, however... If you are with someone who was sexual abuse, you become victimized by their views because you take on their emotions. You become begin to live in their life. So, um, I was that. That's kind of at that time how I was to about thirty three when I turned the age of thirty three. But it, although I spoke about it, I just still was living in this this haze. Now you said that uh, what was it? Your stepmother, your mother that was supporting him. Was it stepmom? You were saying that. It was his step, my stepmother because he was he was remarried at right, the time. Right. Okay. I just wanted to be clear with that. So the you you're 23 years old. You have this conversation with your mother. What was her response? 
Well, my, as I as I mentioned, my mother was very supportive. She believed me instantly, which that helped me because I do know that that's not the case in, in, in many cases. Oh, yeah, right. Um, you know, I've spoken to many men and women who that when you take someone who has been a victim of sexual abuse and then when they tell someone then they, they don't their parent or someone that they open up to don't believe them. That's another trauma on top of trauma. Right. Right. So I, I definitely um, was blessed in that area that my mother believed me when I told her there was not a hesitation. There was not a question. There was not a doubt that this could have possibly got happened. So that from that, I grew strength to be able to, you know, again, walk into the fullness, to begin walking into the fullness right. of a, a healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Camille, did you hear that, that we got one case where finally yes. we have the mom that stepped up? I know. Um, yeah. When I, when she did tell me that, um, I told her that we don't hear that. We do not hear that a lot, um, and it's very unfortunate that there are mothers out there who do not believe their kids because, you know, I'm a mom, and I would never tell my kids that I didn't believe them. I just I can't imagine that. So um, you are very blessed that you have the support of your mom um, because a lot of survivors don't, and their trauma, like you said, does become more increased, and there's, like, more trauma on top of trauma that you have to carry. Yeah. So I can, yeah, I can relate to that part of trauma being increased with not having the support of parents or really anybody. Um, so you are truly blessed when it comes to that. Yes, she yeah. is. Absolutely. And now, Thank you. let me ask you, so you're, you were older then and you told your mom, she confronted dad. Have you spoken with your father since that, that conversation? Yeah, and it's interesting because um, this is one of those, again, uniqueness about my story. I, I, I want to stress that there are very variables in different abuses. I mean, some people are abused by the, their mother's appearance, boyfriend, um, some uh, cousin or uncle or someone like that. And again, my case, it was my, my father, and there are many cases like that. But in my case, it was my biological father. And so, um, because a, a little girl loves their daddy, so you have a you you have a, a twofold situation. You have a child who loves their father, and that's how they see their father as the per as this person, their protector, their their you know daddy. And I use that word interchangeably from father because you know every girl is a daughter's daddy. So when I, with that being said, because I of who I am. I loved him. So my heart never hardened against him. And, and that's where a lot of women, and I want to speak to just that gender, a lot of women, they have a, a hard shell around their heart and it becomes black because of the hurt, the betrayal, the, the abuse, the denial, the you know emotional, physical, sexual, uh, and spiritual abuse of that, their hearts become very black. So you can't penetrate a heart like that. So that's why you have a lot of unforgiveness because it can't be penetrated. And I, I gave that example because for me, my heart never hardened against my dad because he was my daddy. So it was it was easy for me as I began, at, once I, I went through these stages, those stages of hurt and why me stages and 
you know, the pain, but my, although I, because I still loved him, I forgave him. So, and, and, and that, that also helped me to transcend into who I am, I am today as a woman, because I was willing to forgive him from the heart first before the mouth, because sometimes there, there are two levels of forgiveness. We got to give for forgive from the heart. So if your heart has been hardened and you really, you hate the person and I ain't going to deny and tell you if you, not to say that because that's your real emotion. If you really, if you really hate someone, say it. That's your emotion. Because once you can identify that emotion, then you can learn to admit it. So you I mean you can learn to accept it, so you can admit it and to go walk into full recovery. So for me, that is one of the reasons why I still have a relationship with my dad today. Um, that I never stopped. There were long periods of times that we didn't talk, but I won't say that I was I I didn't you know was mad at him or anything. But I believe that was just a separation I needed. And plus, he lived in at that time. He lived in another city and state, which I was glad about. But um, but so today we 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 have a relationship. He calls and and you know, I called him and he texts and he texts text me. And he he sent me a lo- um he's telling me he loved me. But one of the things I want to emphasize on is that um even though because of who I am as a person spiritually, I continue to pray for my abuser. And pray for the people that he may in turn abuse outside of me as well. Okay. Um, okay. I never wanted him. I never wanted him to leave this earth without admitting what, what he did and ask for forgiveness of those he hurt. Okay. All right. Okay. So let me ask you, you have a lot going on. You know, you have your book, uh, you have your organization. Is he aware that you have all of that? Yes, I was very open and honest. I, I mean, again, I'm I'm transparent. Um, I definitely told him about the book. Um, I told him. I mean, the organization, my my nonprofit, started in 2004. So yes, I'm very actively in that work in that organization, sharing my story, helping other people, uh, other um, people who have been victimized by such a crime. But yes, he's aware, and my mother is aware too. My mother has read the book to this day. She's read my book. It just released in Ju- on July 14, so it's still fairly new. Um, but yeah, he, he's aware. Okay. And did he have any comments or anything to say, any dislikes or say, did, you know, Hey, good job. You know, how did that work out? You know what, Ed, um, he didn't, he had commented, but that's okay. Um, he never commented to me about, to me, let me say that to me, how he felt. Um, but as I stated to both my parents, I wrote this book for me. It was for me to release what I wanted to release. Because that's my story. Right. Right. You were the victim. Yes. Yeah. I, I completely agree. So after everything that you have been through, how many women have you been able to help since you started your organization? Oh, God. I mean, um, without a number, it's been... I mean, many women, just many women. I And it's ironic, I just received a message on my Instagram messenger yesterday. Um, so, because that is my, my flight, that is my platform. It's been many women I've helped. Um, I can't just give you a, a number. I guess I need to start keeping numbers. That's a good point, Ed. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I wasn't looking for a number. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I just, yeah, I just because I don't look at it in that form. I just look at it as, as every time I can I can help a soul. Okay. Um, I'm happy about that. Yeah, and I didn't know if you you were able to, 
you know, help a, a, a big group of women, um, you know, different stuff like that. Now, I wasn't looking for an in particular number, but yeah. So, with, and the reason why I asked that question because it's leading up to this. Uh, let's talk about how many of those women that reach out to you. Is it a diverse crowd, or is it mainly black women that they see that you are, you know, a black woman? And is it multiple of white, Hispanic, or whatever? Um, yeah, that's a great question. No, um, it's not just all um, black Americans, uh, African American women. It's 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 just a woman. You know, gender don't really have a color, right? Um, it's it's I've helped Hispanic women. I helped um, Asian women. I've helped white women, um, Mexican. I mean, you know, Hispanic Mexican. They they tend to differ within their cultural background. But yeah, all different different groups of women, diverse. Because all women hurt. Yeah, we, we may wear different color skin, but the hurt is the same inside. Well, that's reason, and, and you're you're so right. And one of the reasons why I was asking that is because. Um, you know, we have this problem in all the races, and I was hoping that you was going to give me the answer that you already gave me, saying that it was a big, diverse crowd. And that's just, you know, real good to hear, because this thing doesn't attack a certain race or color or anything like that. It's just still a young baby girl or young baby boy that is being sexually molested by a parent, step-parent, or, you know, an uncle or a grandpa or something. And it's right. it's really good and comforting to know that you're able to work with a diverse group. I, I'm excited to hear that, actually, un, un, under the circumstances. Yeah, um, because, again, I, I do believe that it, hurt don't have a distinct color, you know, because um, we all hurt. That's That's humanity. So we have to, if we serve in a capacity, if God has given us the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and he has He has um, protected us and kept us through such traumas, whatever our trauma is in our life, I believe it's our due diligence to be able to help others. And, and when, you, when you are serving and helping others, you don't see color. Right. You don't. Right. You just see the need. Yeah. So you want to help, right. help with that need. You're right. I'm going to jump out the way a little bit because you and Camille on the same level and let Camille get in there. Um, Camille, what do you think about her being able to work with a diverse crew like that? I think it is absolutely amazing. I can say for myself, I am am a Hispanic woman, and I can say the day that I spoke with you, you really helped me. You really helped me see things differently. Um, There was certain things for myself that will put into perspective as far as forgiveness, speaking more on things. And I thank you for that. Um, I truly, truly say to myself still, I told Ed, I was glad today for, I was really excited for this interview today because I feel like the way you speak is very pure hearted. You don't have any, you know, you can tell that you've healed, you can tell you fully have forgiven. And I think, like, it is hard for a lot of survivors to forgive fully. Yeah. I'm working, I work through that daily still. Um, and, but you have really helped me 
to just see a lot of things differently and put a lot of things in perspective. And so I felt like I was meant to speak with you that day that we spoke and I interviewed you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're doing is amazing for so many women. Um, I look forward to reading your book. Um, I love to read. So especially I love to read survivor stories. Um, so I am just very glad that I was able to speak with you. I felt like, you know, like I said, I was meant to talk to you that day. So thank you for that. Oh, you're, you're very welcome, Kimmy. I appreciate that. It's interesting. Um, what, what I've learned and what I've discovered in this time of working in this area is that based on women are the same, you know, there's not Mm -hmm. a, there's not a blanket. But culturally, when we think about the cultural of different women, I think that would be a very good question because, you know, when when you when you work with women from different cultures because of their religious beliefs, because of how, you know, whatever they're supposed to be subservient. When you when you think about Nigerian, African, um, American, true Africans who are now living in America they have been subject and also the Hispanic community as well with, you know, being Catholic is one of, is their baseline. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, though, when you start dealing culturally and religiously, that's where you, that's where you really find the biggest, the biggest, I guess, place of saying, how do I penetrate through this? Because they think different, that those religions think differently and they teach different. So therefore a woman is not supposed to tell anything, not to say anything, to be very subservient. If it happens, it happens, and you ain't supposed to be, you know. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, like I said, I'm Hispanic, and mm-hmm. my parents, my grand, my grandmother was old-school Hispanic and was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and that's very true. In the Hispanic culture, it is, you say, you, stuff happens, you stay quiet, you brush it under the rug and mm-hmm. you move on. You don't mm-hmm. talk about it. And I have found lately a lot of um, Hispanics that I have interviewed. That's been the case with them. And it's yeah. something that I've really sat there. And when I hear their story and they say that, I can relate to them because, you know, I was, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. as well and I wasn't believed and I had to fight that by myself and you just it's not talked about and it's very true that Hispanic cultures don't like to have people in their business they want it to just be hushed they want it to be quiet and they think it's something that's just going to go away and they don't realize the trauma that yeah. is causing and it's something that does not go away regardless you can no. quit quiet about it for 50 years it is not going to go away and it's a cycle that we need to stop from happening and I am trying my best advocating for women and children um, especially for I mean I do that for everybody but I'm trying to really do that for you know women in my culture to stop that cycle because it's something that I, it's just becoming more and more that are coming forward to say I wasn't helped and we need to stop that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So that, that is so good. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, um, unfortunately that, that, that cross culturally to different other, you know, religious groups and different other, you know, ethnicities as well. Right. That's what I've learned, um, in regards to just meeting 
and speaking and helping to advocate for all women is that I, I'm faced more with culture than the color. Right. Well, let's talk about your book. And mm-hmm. you, you said it was just recently released, right? July 14th was the release date. Okay. It's available. Okay. And it was released July 14th. How's book sales going? Is people receiving it or what? Yeah, um, actually, my, my sales are going great um, for it to only be out with about a couple weeks <laughs> now, um, not even a month or so. And I, I'm almost in my hundredth copy to oh, be wow. sold. Okay. So I, wow. that's what I And I do understand um, when I wrote this book, because this journey started 15 years ago, um, and the, the main script started at that time. I never really had um I wrote this book out of ob- out of obedience. So therefore my expectation I didn't really have an expectation of, of saying, Oh, well I wanted to be this, I wanted to do this in regards to sales and things like that. I but I my, my hope for it. The bottom line for this book, seeing beyond the shattered glass, is that it will help the person who reads it if they are in a place of being a victim or it will help the person to rejoice if they're in place of a survivor. And also that it will help the person who is either one but know somebody who they can refer it to that they can be able to come a talking piece for them to say, hey, read this and let's let's dialogue after you read it. Although you may not say much, but let's talk about it. Yeah, because that is the motivation for it, um, that it will just bless those who read it and bless the hands that touch it. That's right. my that's my prayer. Yes, that is. I agree. I agree. So let me ask you. What is next for you? Well, that that's good. That's, that's another good question. Um, what's next for me right right now is that due to COVID nineteen, we are all kind of um, in this place. <laughs> I am. I'm. I'm definitely going to write more books. I am definitely pushing more in my agency. I am an educator by vocation. Um, I teach high school, and I'm I'm first lady. My husband's a pastor, so I'm very involved in that as well community activist. Um, however, my next step is to continue to advocate and to be a voice, to be a beacon of hope for uh, victims and also to continue to inspire survivors. That's my hope. And those are things that I do. I want to continue to push. I'm seeing beyond the shattered glass. I have scheduled now. Um, I call with at night to chat with the author, especially when people begin to read the book. They'll be able to sign up. And once a, once a month, I will have um, a chat. And you can sign up on my website and you can come in and you can ask questions. And, and, you know, if the Lord leads me, have guests just to come on. It's just very casual conversation to create a space. That's part of my mission statement is to create a space for women to be able to talk about um, what happened to them and then see what next, the next steps that they may need to be. Because that's very important. We have to create an atmosphere and space for people to speak out. Yes, um, I agree. If they don't feel comfortable, they're not going to speak out uh, ever, like. That's I know that just by experience um, that they're just not going to say anything. They're going to continue to, like Kimmy said, continue to walk in that place of silence and that place of darkness because they cannot speak out. You are so right, girl. You nailed it right on the head. <laughs> <laughs> you I did. told you, Ed. I yes, you. <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to her, and I'm like, I got goosebumps, right? and I'm sitting here listening to her, I like, know. whoa, yes. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, yeah. um. Doc, we're going to be working with you a lot. You know, me and Camille talked about me and you had a short conversation. And, you know, we're going to continue to work with you because you are so talented and you're so blessed. 
And, you know, there's just no way that, you know, we can let someone like you that could be a huge blessing to someone else, not just in Texas, but Indiana or California, Denver, Chicago, wherever. Um, Amen. You know, what we do, we want to reach out and help as many, many victims become survivors. And that's always been, you know, Camille's goal. And she's doing an excellent job. And, you know, we keep finding good people like you. So I commend you to be brave. It's a brave, noble thing for you to come on here. And especially being that your abuser is your own father. That's a tough situation to swallow, uh, to accept or deal with. So I, I really appreciate you taking out your time because doc i know you're busy camille's like well you know Mm -hmm. doc's got a real busy schedule (laughs) no (laughs) i i you know i i hope that even in my busyness one of the things that i i told the lord um i make time for people um i i never want to be the person who say oh i'm just too busy because i feel like when people call me and i have always been this way always been this way if you pick up the phone and call me that means you need me. So it's my diligence to hear you. Wow, that's amazing. That is. Wow, yeah, it is. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, I, I'm just making a statement. I just try to keep that platform. <laughs> okay, well, good, good. Okay, before we go, we don't run out of time. You want to tell mm-hmm. the listeners all about your book, where they can get it, um, your website. Give them everything. Yeah, okay. So as we have stated, thank you so much. Let me first let this it. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Kimmy, for this opportunity. It has been great. Um, whenever I'm allowed space to be able to share to potentially help someone, it does my heart great. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and um, get a copy of Seeing Beyond the Shattered Glass on my website at www.drketra.com. Also, you can go and you can read a little sneak, a sneak preview of my book. I put out there to kind of give you a teaser of, to set it up to make you you know want to go ahead and order it and it usually ships between seven and ten days you can find me on all social media platforms if you're on facebook you can find me at arthur.keetra on instagram it's arthur underscore dr and me you know underscore dr keetra and also on twitter dr keetra and i'm on Arthur, Dr. Keetran, on I'm on LinkedIn as well. So you can find me on all social media. I would love to hear from you. So please um, go and look me up. Send me a friend request, and I'd be more to just be able to help in any capacity that I can. Because no no number, no level of help, small or big, is all great to me. So that's, that's how you can find me. Ooh, amazing. Okay, all right. Well, yes. Yeah. I look forward to reading that book, Ed. I'm going to get that book. And okay, yeah, me it. too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you coming on. And and for the listeners, I want to say this. You know, just as what the doc was saying, okay, we have an Instagram at Crime Pursuit, and we have a Facebook. And the Facebook is Crime Pursuit Podcast. And we do interact. Camille interacts with people every day on there. Kate as well, myself, we are constantly interacting. So come on there, send us an inbox, come on there and post, get involved. And we also have a group, which is ran by Camille, uh, helping victims become survivors. Join the group, get involved with all the other women and everything. 
and they will interact with you. We have a complete team for that. And I, I get in there and I interact as well. All right. Well, we have run out of time. Thank you for listening. <laughs>